Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Claret and Blue podcast. We're joined by a special guest today, Aston Villa legend, I think, hero, former star, Andy Gray. Welcome, Andy. I'd like to thank all of those, all of the above. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that. I was looking through um, a, a book by, by Rob Bishop called The Complete Record of Aston Villa. Uh, I was checked, doing a bit of homework online, and I think they ranked you number 13 out of the top 50 Villa players. Is, is that fair? 13. Well, considering that, that there was a team after me that, that did win the league and that won the European Cup, and there were some, there have been some fantastic players before I, I arrived. You know, you go all the way back to to, to, to Pongo Wearing and, and, and Jerry Hitchens and people like that. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll take that. I mean, I was I, I had four magnificent years there, and I have to say that um, you know it's, it's it's with some pride that I sit here and. Goodness me, how many years are we talking? Probably 45 years. And no one yet in a villa, in a villa strip, I hope Wally Watkins is the first, no one in a villa strip in the top league has managed to score as many goals as I did in a, in a, in a season in the league football. So it's with some pride that I, I still hold that record. I know Tammy Abraham got a few, but that was championship, not top league. Uh, so... That, that's that's nice, but top thirteen, yeah, I can't be too disappointed with that. <laughs> so let's um, let's take you back even further than that. Then, so as a young kid growing growing up in in Scotland, was it always football? Were, were your parents quite sporty? Basically, my mum brought me up. I was the youngest of four brothers. Um, my, my dad left home when I was two, um, so I was very much uh, influenced by my mother, who was an incredible woman. Um, morally strong, um, disciplinarian. So she she held she held the she held the family together with great discipline. But my three older brothers, like me, were all football mad. Uh, they all wanted to play. They all wanted to, to to go as far as they could. But for various reasons, they didn't. My older brother Willie, when my father left, he was sixteen. He would love to have gone to university. He was intelligent enough to do so. Um, but he had to go and leave school and go to work to help the family. My next brother, James, did make it as a professional footballer. He played at Claybank in Scotland for maybe a season, two seasons. Um, but he was a he was he was a volatile character on the football pitch. He kept getting sent off all the time, and he was only a little winger, and it was terrible. And he eventually he, he, he gave up and went to Canada. And the, the one above me, Duncan, was probably the most talented of all the grey boys. Um, he was a midfield player. He rep- represented Glasgow schoolboys. I, 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 there's no doubt he had more talent than any of the other three of us. But he, he was a young man who, him and his mates liked to go out on a weekend rather than play football. And 
yeah. kind of passed them by. So I guess all their, all their hopes and dreams were challenged towards their youngest. Um, and I grew up eat, eat every waking moment, every sleeping moment, uh, thinking and playing football. So were you always a centre forward from, from a very young age? No, no. And in my early days, very early days in, in Drumchapel, Glasgow, when I used to go and play across the field with the older boys, with my big brothers, because I was the smallest and, and I wanted to play, they'd always put me in goals. Like, Andy, you're in goals. Gone. So for years, I, I, I was in goals. And then I remember playing when I was about eight or nine in a game. And I was in goals. And I was playing in, and it was like 13 nothing for us at half time. And I hadn't had a touch of the football. And I kind of thought, I don't, I don't like that. You know, they're, they're having more fun up the other end, you know, scoring 13 goals. And I'm stood here not touching the football. So I very quickly decided at a young age that I was, I was better playing outfield. And then when I did start to play outfield, it was very quickly apparent to me that I enjoyed scoring goals um, and that I wanted to be centre forward. And, and that was it. That was it. Dennis Law was my hero. So... That was natural. What was the progression like from just kind of having a kick around with, with your brothers and your mates to actually joining a team and becoming, you know, know knowing that this was a career path? Wow. Um, obviously, school's football, like everybody. I played for my primary school. And and the only time in its history that primary school won the Glasgow Cup, which as you can imagine the size of Glasgow and how many primary schools there are in Glasgow, uh, particularly at that time. Um you can imagine the enormity of what we had did, what we achieved. So we actually won the Glasgow Cup um, and we won 1-0. I scored the winner uh, against, I can't even remember who it was against, but it was against a decent side. And then I went to, you know, secondary. And you just played what you did in those days. You, you, you know, you were good enough, you'd get a game for the school. So it would be, it would be like the school on Saturday morning. And then Saturday afternoon, if you were lucky and you, you'd found a, a kind of youth team type thing, You'd get a game for them. And then on Sunday, you'd play for the... Well, I was a member of the Boys' Brigade, the BB, as it was called up in Glasgow. So I'd play on a Sunday as well for them. And, and I remember I was about 15, 16, maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe 16. And I wasn't playing on the Saturday afternoon. And my mate across the road came to me one day. He shouted up and said, Andy, what are you doing this afternoon? I said, nothing. He said, come, come, do you want to come and play for us? Uh, a team called Clybank Strollers, it was. And I said, yeah, well, I wouldn't mind a game. So I went and played for them, and we won, and I scored a hat-trick in my first game for them. So they very quickly made a point of signing me. And that was that was the start, because that was a proper team. That was proper football. It was competitive. Um, you know, there were some really good players in that league. And we went and we won uh, the major trophy that year as well. And we played at Clybank's ground in the final, and we won 3-2. And I scored twice that day as well. And that was a day that a scout from Dundee United saw me playing and hooked on to me, so to speak, and had a, kept an eye out for me the next few months. And that was probably then, when I started playing for Clybank Strollers, was the first, it wasn't the first idea that I wanted to be a professional. It was the first time I thought maybe I could be a professional. So you, you, you snapped up by Dundee United soon enough. How's that? You know, you're still, a, you're still a teenage lad. I'm sure you're kind of hard as nails, but it still must be a little bit of a kind of education that, you know, play, playing at that level so young. Scary, frightening. You might not believe it, and, and a lot of people find it strange when I say this, but it's true. I was a really shy boy um, when I grew up, except when I played football. 
I had I had no real belief in my own ability. I always felt that I had to work harder than anyone because or else I wouldn't get in the team, any team. I, I, I could so when I went to Dundee United and I was seventeen and then Jim McLean came and said, you know, a couple of days before, I think it was a couple of days before my eighteenth birthday. Um well, that was about a couple of months actually before that. And he just said to the boys, you're playing a reserve game. <clears throat> and he said, you know, whoever plays well today has got a chance of being in the first team squad at the weekend. And I remember we were playing Aberdeen away, reserves. And we, we played quite well. I think I played quite well, scored. And he brought me into the squad that weekend and put me on a sub. And I was petrified. I was petrified. We were playing at Motherwell. And, these, and suddenly, from playing against boys, more in age, I'm now playing against full-grown men. And I was really skinny and very frail in those days. I didn't have a picking on me. I was, and I wasn't the biggest. I'm only, what, 5'10", 5'11". Um, you know, so I wasn't imposing physically. But I knew what I wanted. And I knew I liked winning. And I knew I hated losing. Uh, and I knew I liked scoring goals. Uh, so that drove me. Uh, through all that, that shyness, if you like, and football, without a doubt, gave me the, the, the confidence that I, I came through with later, later in life. But it was scary when you're 17 and you leave home to go and live in another city. And you only got your mates that you've just met. Uh, and everything's a big decision. I remember when I went up in the train to Dundee United, I, I said to my mother before I left and my brothers, I'm going to give myself four years. Four years. So I thought, four years, 21 I said, I'm going to give myself four years, and if I don't make, if I'm not in the first team in four years' time, then I'm going to quit. I'm going to go and emigrate to Canada and be with my brother who had already done so. So that was my plan. But that all, all the best laid plans of mice and men, <laughs> because about four months later, I was playing against Rangers, Celtic, Aberdeen, Um it was. It got accelerated quite a bit. When I was at school, I always thought, right, I'll, I'll probably end up. How stupid! I mean, think about me. I, I thought about the civil service because I always thought eh, that's a, you know, you get into the civil service, you got a job for life. That's what people used to say. Get into the civil service, you'll have a job for life, son. So I thought. I thought about that, and it was the early goings on of you know uh, computers and things like that, and I was quite interested in that, and quite fascinated by that. So. That was an interest. But apart from that, no. I stayed on at school for my A-levels. I sat my O-levels. And then I, 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 I still hadn't signed a club. I found a club. And I'm 16. And I thought, right, well, I'm staying on again because I'll get, I'll get regular football at the school. Schools were always a good breeding ground for football. There was lots of scouts watch school football. I thought, I'll give myself another year then at school. I'll take my A-levels and see what happens. And that, that, that was a year, that was a, that was a, a cataclysmic year for me in respect from 16 to 17, what happened to me uh, with the gas football. Um, but, uh, you know, no, I'd always, I didn't think there was a plan B, I was interested. I remember going to a careers officer at school and I was about 15, 16. And we were sitting outside and everybody had been in there for about at least half an hour, at least. Some had been in there an hour. And... So I popped in and he sat down and said, Andy, how are you? I said, fine. He says, uh, can I help you with anything? I said, no, not really. He said, why is that? I said, well, I don't think you've got anything in there that tells me how to be a professional footballer and that's what I'm going to be. And he went, oh, okay then. 
says, in that case, on you go, and I wish you all the very best of luck. And that was it. I was in and out in five minutes. <laughs> so in terms of um, you moving moving down south then, how, how did that come about? Was Scottish football heavily scouted by Villa at that time? or Yeah, very much so. I mean, the natural progression of a, a Scottish footballer in those days, in the, in the 70s, in particular the 70s, 80s, was if you were any good, you moved to England and played for one of the big clubs in England. You only had to look through history and see all the great teams in England that, that they were they're liberally sprinkled with Scots, um, three or four, the great Liverpool sides of the 70s. Look at the many, the Sunes, the Gleish, Hansons of this world. You know, it was it was always, if you were very good at Scotland, then you'd, if you didn't play for Rangers or Celtic, you went to England, simple as that. Um, so that was a natural progression for me and um, did I expect it? Well, I guess that beginning of that season, that was my third season. Jim McLean, um, God rest his soul, who passed away recently. Great coach. One of the best ever. Um, he came to me at pre-season. He says, listen, I'm going to have to sell you this year. I'm like, wow, okay. He said, why? He said, well, I don't think I can teach anymore. He said, in all honesty, if I don't sell you, I'm holding you back because you're too good for this league. Um, so I just want you to know that. Uh, that's that's what I planned for you, and I went. Well, that's very unusual, but you know, thanks. So I knew I was going that year, but where I was going, I had no idea. So how did it how did it come about? Then were there several several options at the time? Or? Well, I, I'm not sure because Jim was one of these guys who, although he told me he was very open about me going, he could have had ten offers. I mean, I know Rangers. I found out from Jock Wallace years later when I played with golf with the great Jock Wallace. He said to me, I, um, that me, that me be Jim McLean. I went, what? You know, I wanted to buy you when you were at Dundee United when you were 18. I said, you didn't. I said, you did. He said, yeah. yeah. And the wee man says, no, I'm not selling them to you. He's going to England. So <laughs> I, I guess there was a few in there that Jim didn't tell me about. I had a chance to go to Schalke. I didn't fancy it. Um, I was too young. And I, as I said to you, I wasn't the most confident and outgoing then. So I liked my home comforts and, and people I know and language I could speak. So I, I, I didn't entertain Germany. But the funny thing about the move was that it was a Friday afternoon, I remember, and we, Jim, um, was really nippy with me. As I say in Scotland, nippy. That means he was, he was always chipping at me at training. And I'm saying, what's, what's going on? We've got a massive game tomorrow and he's having a go at me. And then at the end of training, he went, right, where are you going? I said, well, where I always go when we play Rangers or Celtic, I'm going back to my mum's in Glasgow. Well, make sure you're there. I'm thinking, well, where else would I be? We've got a massive room against Celtic tomorrow. I ain't going to be anywhere else. Right, make sure you're there. <laughs> okay. So I drove down to my mum's and I'm thinking, what the hell? Why the hell is a wee man having to go at me like that? So, um, got home, had a phone call, meet two of the directors um, at the airport, Glasgow airport, at five o'clock. Uh, Aston Villa have come in for you and I've agreed to sell you to them. Right? I'm like, right. I put the phone down and I'm ashamed to say this. I thought, where the f***ing hell is Aston Villa? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously? Obviously, it's like grown up because Villa had been down in the dumps a lot, hadn't they? They'd only just got their... That was the first season back in the, in the, the big league. And I'm thinking, I know we're Liverpool and Everton and Manchester United and, you know, and Leeds and Newcastle and the London clubs. I said to my mum, I think I'm going to sign for Aston Villa. Can you get that? <laughs> I had to look it up and find out where that it was actually in Birmingham. And I thought, all right then, okay. 
Uh, and off I went, travelled down and never came back. Is it, that's a done deal and you're going regardless? Do you have any for say me, in it? For me, yeah. I mean, I know nowadays it would have been a protracted... Um, I mean, that was one of the hot properties as well. Uh, and to be fair, I think I think uh, Ron Saunders um, pulled a flanker on wee Jim. Because if you remember right about those days, freedom of contract wasn't in just then. Just then. And we Jim was saying, what, 125,000 for that? He must be joking. You know, he's the best He's the best player in Scotland at this age. And, you know, he's one of the best players in Scotland, full stop. And you want him for 120,000. And I think uh, as it went on, Ron Saunders said, well, listen, I don't want to tell you this, Jim, but if you don't sell him, you're going to, he's going to go for nothing next year because freedom of contract is coming in and you won't get a penny for him. So <laughs> I, think, I think Ron pulled a flanker on wee Jim. And... Uh, <laughs> And Jim eventually succumbed in it. And the lads after that, they, they kind of, they suffered and they didn't because people like uh, <laughs> Duncan Ferguson and players like that and, and uh, Paul Sturrock and all really good players that came after me, Jim put them on 10-year contracts so he, should, he couldn't get stiffed again in the transfer market. <laughs> so that was my fault. I was, I was going. I, was, I, I, I wasn't going back to Glasgow. Um, I, I, as soon as I got on that plane and I hadn't met Ron Saunders, and I hadn't been to Villa Park, and I hadn't been to Bodymore Heath, unless they offered me, and, and, and in fact, I was, I was going to say, unless they offered me 50 quid a week, uh, I wouldn't. I, I was never coming back. But even if they'd offered me that, I probably would have stayed anyway, because, you know, I just wanted to play football, and I wanted to play at the highest level, and the money didn't really concern me at all. It never has done, but it certainly didn't then. So as soon as you located Birmingham and Aston Villa on a map, like you said, I think Villa had been newly promoted back to the, the top flight. I think they were just won the League Cup as well. Yeah. Did Villa feel like a place that was was on the up? Absolutely, um, really. It did. I mean, I, as I said, there was people like Jake Finlay and Bobby McDonald, two fellow Scots who were in the, the group at that time, um, who made me feel very much at home. The senior pros were great. Uh, Leighton Phillips, Ian Ross, another Scot who was a captain at the time. Um, he was very good. Chris Nicholl, Charlie Aitken. The senior pros were great. But then, you know, they had people like John Goodman, Brian Little, myself all late teens, early 20s, you know, phenomenal footballers uh, and experienced regrading, experienced regrading. So it, it felt like it was a it was a place, it was a club going somewhere. It really did. Um, and the first game I saw, I signed on the Friday, went to Villa Park on Saturday, and of course it was the Derby against Blues. Uh, the one little Brian got two goals and one, two, one, 50 odd thousand in the ground. I sat there and I thought, I'll have some of this. I'll definitely have some of this. And you can imagine me, because I'd played at Dundee United in front of maybe 10, 15,000. Suddenly I walk out at Villa Park and it was the first time I'd walk from the corner, obviously, to the halfway line. Um, and I'm so glad they kept that in, in the new stand, the new, built the new stands. Um, walked along that touchline and the hairs on the back of my neck just stood up and I thought, wow. And the atmosphere was just sensational. Um, and we beat them. So... I kind of sat there and thought to myself, oh, I'm going to have to play well and get in this team. <laughs> it was a tragedy. I mean, what's success for, you know, what's success for one or what's good fortune for one is misfortune for another, often in football. And it was a misfortune for big Keith, Keith Leonard because had he not got injured early on in that season, I joined in, I think, November, early November, like it was late September, early November, 
But Keith had been the centre forward that took them basically through the championship, or Division 2 as it was then, to promotion. And Ron loved Keith. He was the type of player that, that, that Ron Saunders loved because he was big and he was powerful and he was a presence. He was the kind of centre forward that, that Saunders was himself. Didn't quite have the height that Keith had, but he had the physicality. And that's what Saunders was. And, um, and he loved Keith and the fans loved him and he was a really good player. But he got that horrific knee injury and, and never came back. And, and I think that knee injury uh, hastened my exit to from Dundee United and my arrival at Villa. I think if Keith Leonard hadn't got injured and it's these little things, then then I would not have been at Aston Villa. And who knows where I might have ended up, what might have happened. But, you know, his his bad luck was my good fortune. Um but there's no doubt, had Keith not got injured, I wouldn't have been at Villa, I don't think. So give us a little bit of a flavour of the era and the culture back then, then kind of what car were you driving? Where did you used to knock about around Birmingham on a Friday? Well, not a Friday night, perhaps a Saturday oh, night. After a it was just, everything was so good for me. I, 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 I felt at home. I brought my brother and my best mate to Birmingham with me. Um, I bought a little semi-detached and, and four oaks. And the three of us moved in there. So I had company, I had family and friends with me from day one, basically, which was nice. And I became really pally with, with particularly Bobby McDonald, Jake Finlay, um, Giddy, um, mainly that those lads and a couple of other lads who didn't really play football, I got friendly with. So it was nice to have a couple of friends outside the game. So, I mean, for us, for me, um, training really hard, morning and afternoon, um, probably go out on a Wednesday night into town if we didn't have a game um, that would be it Saturday night we'd be out after the game no doubt, either in town invariably, Sunday be nice to go for Sunday lunch or a few drinks and that, the wine bars were becoming a big thing then now, I remember the early the, the mid 70s, no one had heard of a wine bar wine bar, it's a pub isn't it but the wine bars were becoming the thing to be in and, and Birmingham started to open a lot of them and I frequented quite a few of them, I have to say, with the boys. But always, I always said that I never, I never went out when I shouldn't go out. I did enjoy my life, my social life, I did. But I never stepped, I never enjoyed it to an extent that it affected my football. I would never have allowed that to happen because the most important thing in my life was to play football and score goals and, and win football matches. Uh, and if something I was doing outside of that affected it, my ability to do it, then it would have been cut out. But so I enjoyed my, my social life with the boys within reason, um, and and loved my football. I got a wonderful club, great training ground. Although it was, you know, it's still quite small in those days, but it's a wonderful training ground. Bit windy, <laughs> bit windy, but great boys. I mean, and you always say that you know you measure of a club is the senior players, and I've always believed that. If you've got the right senior players um, who can teach the younger boys the best things in football, then you've got a chance. And look, I've looked through every club I've been at, and that's been the case. And when I went there, and there was Charlie, I mentioned them, Charlie, Kenny and Ross in particular, Leighton Phillips, Chris Nickel, Ray Graydon, um, you know, all fantastic uh, footballers and, and all really good pros, really good pros. So, you know, they kept you in line, they kept you in check. Uh, and made sure we were doing the right things, predominantly most of the time. Um, and it was a it was a really really good place to be, Birmingham. It was a vibrant city. I enjoyed it. 
when you think about it as well, well, if we talk with big Ron Atkinson about it, you know, in the mid seventies, when you think we had we had Birmingham City, us, West Brom, Wolves, Coventry, Leicester, you know, all these teams from close and around us, it was and they were good teams. You know, these these weren't bad teams. You think of Ron Atkinson's West Brom in the mid seventies. It was a sensational team. And Birmingham always always had a game when Trevor was playing, Trevor Francis, what a player he was. And it was a brilliant place to, to be because it was such a football area with so many top division teams in there and so many big games to play. It was it was fabulous to be part of. What was your experience like of working under Ron Saunders? I, I, I only know him by reputation and even then <laughs> he seems like yeah. a formidable, formidable man. Yeah, I think his back, his, his back was worse than his bait at times, Ron. Uh, there's absolutely no doubt um, that he was good for me and that I learned a lot from him um, uh, about how to look after myself uh, in, in the arena and against physical players because as I say I, was, I wasn't the biggest um, but I could certainly put it out there so he taught me that and he coached me well him and Roy McLaren I spent a lot of time with Roy in the afternoons finishing crosses etc uh, doing all sorts of stuff. So he was great for me uh, in that respect, Rod. He didn't like the fact that when I, I was scoring all these goals and being successful, that I was uh, attracting headlines and people wanted to talk to me and interviewers wanted to interview me. Um, and he felt it was, a, it was a team thing and that why do you always want to talk to you? And it's, it's obviously nothing to do with me, but if I'm scoring 25, 30 goals a season then it's, it's no surprise that people want to talk to you. Um, but he he didn't like that. He didn't like it at all. Um, and it was nothing to do with me, actually, because it's not as if I was putting myself out there. I was just happy to contribute to the team. And if they wanted to talk to the other 10 and not me, I'd have been more than happy. But uh, so he didn't like that. And I think over the years, although I did everything for him, everything for him, I, I, I played games where I shouldn't. Because he asked me, um, I, t- I had injections in various parts of my body to get me on a football pitch because he needed me and wanted me. I remember one in particular, I think it was, it was a, a, an FA Cup tie at Villa Park. It might have been Port Vale. Port Vale. There you go. Port Vale. And I had an ankle injury and wasn't quite ready. And he came to me and I, and I, and I did a warm up the pitch at two o'clock, half one. And it wasn't right. I came in, I said, it doesn't feel great. I said, I think, give me 10 days, maybe another. As physio said, give him another couple of weeks, boss. Should be all right. So I need him today. I said, well, he said, if your name's not on that team sheet, they're going to get a lift right away. And I went, oh, all right. I said to the physio, can you, can you strap it in a way that it doesn't move? <laughs> Honestly, can you imagine that nowadays? Um, and he went, yeah, it could put on a horseshoe strapping, it's called, I think, which basically locks your ankle. You know, you can't, you can't do that with your foot. Just locks it. So I went, I'll have a go at that then. How's that? And he went, oh, brilliant, brilliant. So I, I went, I played, put the number nine on, I went out. Um, my ankle was killing me the whole first half. We, we got two or three goals up. I came off at half time, and I was out for five weeks because of the damage I had done because Ron wanted me to play. I've had injections into my knee, directly into my knee joint. I've had injections into my stomach um, because Ron wanted me to play. So I've done all these things. So it was a real shame, you know, when we when we fell out, him and I. But 
as I say, for those first three or four years, uh, the club was brilliant. Um, playing for them was brilliant. We, we had a vibrant team, full of quality, full of class, full of excitement. And, 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 and it was great. It was a brilliant four years, I have to say. Absolutely stunning. Probably, as an individual, my best four years as a footballer in respect of my performances. Um, I was at my peak. Uh, hadn't had too many injuries. And, uh, uh, and, and you know, I, I was probably at, the, at my best physically um, as a footballer then, yeah. You talking about injuries has just reminded me of this famous photograph. And I think it was, it must have been in an old shoot magazine or something. And I'm not even sure whether you're at Villa, but you've got the kind of curly perm going on. And I think you got a, you'd had an operation. You've got a bit of cartilage in a jar. Do you remember that photo? Oh, I do. I do. <laughs> I had the, yeah, I had the cartilage. The, the, the surgeon gave me the cartilage, took out my cartilage. The surgeon said, I've kept you this as a wee memento. And I had it for years, this piece of gristle. Yeah, it was a shame. I was sitting at, I was in my mum's, I think. I'm sure I was at my mum's. I'd gone up to Glasgow to see my mum for a bit. And they came and took a couple of pictures. And they said, what's that little thing there? I said, oh, cartilage. Oh, get it in the picture. <laughs> Obviously, you were famous for kind of how prolific you were in the air scoring goals with your head and, you know, not the tallest bloke in the world. Is that something, how do you, how do you work on that? How do you get that kind of spring? Is that something that you do special exercises for, or is it just a natural gift or? I think it was natural. I mean, I worked really hard. I mean, Jim McLean, when I was 17 for two years, uh, Jim would have me out there three afternoons a week at Tannadice on the big pitch, just him and I knocking crosses. Meet it at its highest point, Andy. Meet it at its highest point. Don't let it drop. Don't let it drop. All these sort of things he coached me. But I was I could naturally jump. Because I, I wasn't tall, I wasn't heavy. Uh, I was I was fairly light as well. And I had I just had the knack of, of I could spring and my timing was good. And the combination of both um, was 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 good for me. I just said that no one taught me it. I, I, I did work at it. I didn't have huge thighs or anything like that I just had a and I, I had an ability to pick up the flight of the ball fairly early uh, and go and get myself there in front of people most of the time as well you know I didn't climb above people I wasn't like uh, what should I say like Keith, Keith Leonard or, or people like uh, Peter Crouch who are big lads who go to the back post and, and fight with people I was somebody who scored goals near post I was always on the move nine times out of ten and, and, and it was that that got me an awful lot of my headed goals. But when it was up there, I mean, I could spring and I could time it well. And it helped me enormously, yeah. There's a goal that you scored for Everton, like on, a, on the half volley, I think. I think you headed it. <laughs> it's, it's about a foot off the ground and you, and you headed it. And I think you were saying on an interview, that's the, the goal that mo- a lot of people talk to you about from Everton. What's your most talked about goal from Aston Villa? Wow. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I have wonderful memories, I mean, of goals I scored. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget the one at Leicester in the FA Cup. It's, a, it's, it's just one when we were up against it. It was a cold, wet night, I think, in the beginning of January. Went to Leicester, they played in the FA Cup. Good side, Leicester. Late on, I hadn't had a kick. I played poorly. But as usual, little Brian out in the right wing. This is the kind of goals I'm talking about. And he just got himself a half a yard of space and I knew where it was going. I knew where it was coming. It was either Steve Sims or Jeff Blockley, centre-back. And I thought, 
I know where this is coming. So I just had a little check and I went. And then I was about just a foot in front of the centre back when the ball arrived right where I thought it would, right where I knew Brian was going to put it. And I, I dived in and I headed into the top corner and we won the FA Cup by 1 0. And it's, it's not a goal of any great significance, but it was just in its manufacture. It said everything about the kind of goals I scored in those first four years and how important Brian Little was to me uh, in that respect. And that without him, without him, I would never have got the goals I did. We, we, we did have a, a telepathic almost thought process going on. I knew where he was going to put it. He knew where I wanted it to be. And so many times I've gone over after I've scored and thanked him for yet another assist. But no, I remember my hat trick against Ipswich at Villa Park when we were, I had an absolute nightmare. How's this for a story? Playing them at Villa Park, Ipswich. I think we were getting beat 1-0 at half time. I had a pair of boots on. I'd signed a new, uh, with a boot manufacturer um, to wear the boots. So they were goal, I think. So I played the first half and they were rubbish. I was absolutely rubbish. So I went in at half time, took the boots off. And I put Adidas boots back on again, came out in the second half and I scored that right and we won the last one. I thought, well, I'll do. There's that brilliant night. We beat Liverpool 5-1 on a Wednesday night. It was an amazing day, amazing night. That's a big game. Anyone that was there would talk about that because we were 5-1 up at half time. We might as well have all gone home after that. It was not another goal. So that was that was fantastic. Um, so all of that was good. I was going to ask you, to talk us through that second season then, because that was the one where you really kind of burst into life, I suppose. I think it was the double awards, wasn't it? The PFA yeah. Player of the Year, PFA Young Player of the Year. 29 goals, was it that year, I think? Uh, yeah, I think it was, yeah. So what, what clicked What clicked that year for you? Everything. Uh, I think that I'd, I'd had a year with the boys, or seven, eight months with the, with the guys. Um uh, Ron had signed another couple of players. I think uh, Alex Cropley had joined us by then. Pretty sure he had, uh, and one or two others. I don't know if Dennis had been was there then, and he came that year. But he added one or two people to to the group, and it made us better. But I, for me, it was a case of, of I've had a year in England, I had a touch of it, feel of it, knew what it felt like, was better prepared, had a good pre-season, didn't do anything. Um, rested so I was ready to go and when we did kick off I I, I I flew out the traps I think I scored again was it West Ham what day of the season might have been and I got off and running nothing better than scoring in the opening day uh, if you're a front man and that's what happened and and it just kept going it just kept going everything that I, I, I touched um, seemed to go in I felt good physically strong keen um, and I, I was a handful for most centre backs, so it was it was it was a, a pretty pretty impressive season for me. So, and of course, culminating with the two awards was just mind blowing. What did that feel like? Because I I know these awards and these awards, but to, to get the respect of your peers like that at such a young age must have been a real confidence boost. Oh, it was it was amazing again, and because I'm I'm not overly confident about my I wasn't overly confident about my abilities as a footballer. And never took it for granted, and never thought it was that good. Oh, when I when I got told that by Derek Duggan that I'd won both, um, I thought, wow! I thought, how, how can I? Little kid from Drumchapel, 
how can I, with all these players in this league, as soon as he's Douglasies, people like that, just to name but a couple, um, how can I <laughs> be voted the best player in the country, just both uh, young and older? Um, and to think that only Ronaldo and, and Gareth Bale have done it since um, is a measure of how, how rare it is. So to be in that little trio of players is, is very special. And I guess that was when I, Saunders and I started to fall out because he didn't allow me to go to the um, the, dad, the dinner, uh, the function to get presented with him. Again, a little measure of him having no sympathy. And he's won awards. Doesn't matter. Don't care. It's not a team award. You're not going. I said, uh, now, if I'd been today, knowing what I know, I'd have told me, shove it, that I was going and that's it, do what you like. But in those days, your manager's word was the law and you didn't argue. And I was young, so I wasn't going to argue. But uh, I'm sad that I never got there. Really am now. It's only years later you, 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 you realise what a, a bad decision that was from him. Um, it really was poor. Poor man management from Ron. really was. Instead of embracing that and saying this is great, a player from our club, this is fantastic for the whole club, this is great, it represents how well we've done this season as a unit. No, he was just, you're not going, you've got a, you've got treatment to get before the, it was a, the replay of the League Cup final the following Wednesday. But this was a Sunday night, it wouldn't have affected that. And I would have been down and back in four hours, but he still wouldn't let me go. So it was really bad of him. Really bad of him. Did that kind of sow this sow some seeds of resentment? Do you think then, and is that where the kind of cracks started to kind of widen a little bit? Not, um, not that he would notice, but it was the first time he did something that I thought, well, that's not very nice. And then he pulled me out of Scotland squad at the end of that season. I think we played West Brom last game of the season at uh, Villa Park, and I think I got a hat trick. I think we won 3 0. And that hat trick took me level with Malcolm McDonald on the goal scoring chance. And so that meant I needed one more to be out on my own. I think that took me to 25 league goals. And it was about 15 minutes to go. And he took me off. <laughs> he took me off. I thought, wow, okay. So he took me off. And then he pulled me to the side in Scotland. We're going to tour Argentina and Brazil, playing at the Maracanã and everything like that. And he came to me after the game and says, listen, I've taken you off because I'm pulling you out of the Scotland squad. I said, what? He says, I don't want you to go. I said, why? He said, you've had such a great season. I said, yeah, I know I have. That's why I'm going. That's why they've picked me. <laughs> he said, no. He said, uh, you need to rest. Um, you need to take it easy. Get yourself ready for next season. If you go to uh, South America, no, I, I want you to stay. So I'm going to tell them I took you off because you've got a bad ankle and it needs rest. And again, I should have told them to shove it, end off. But you didn't do that in those days, in the 70s. You just didn't. Because as I say, um, if, the, if the boss bombed you in those days, then you were out, you were out. There's nothing you could do about it. So I had to go along with it. So I missed playing at the Maracanã and I missed playing against Brazil and Argentina that summer. Um, so that was another little example of, of, you know, of Ron not doing something for me, but doing something against me. And he might have had, he might have had genuine reasons um, that he felt that I needed a rest. But I was, listen, I was 20, 21. I needed a rest? Nah, not really. So that wasn't great, I have to be honest. 
So we've been talking about Ron Saunders and you know him being <laughs> him being Ron and being looking after yeah. the the good of the team. You perhaps kind of emerging as his star and him not necessarily liking that. There's still a leap to go between that happening and you leaving the football club. So what what triggered the fact that that you were leaving? It was all around the. Um, you remember the Barcelona game? I had been injured and. We played the first leg. It was 2-2, I think, Villa Park. So, on the Sunday before they return, so that's, what, four, four, three or four days, I was in getting treatment, and Saunders came in, and he didn't usually come in on the Sunday. He wouldn't bother himself with injured players normally. Um, but he came in, and he said to me, how are you feeling? I said, yeah, okay. I said, I think I'll be all right Wednesday. Don't think it's a problem. And I went, ah, he said, nah, nah, that's not good, not good enough. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, how is it now? He said, could you play today? I said, no, I couldn't play today. Stupid, I couldn't, but I think it'll be all right Wednesday. He said, well, if you, if, you can't, if you can't tell me you could play today, I'm not taking you. I went, what? And, and this, this is arguably his best player. And a cup tie at Barcelona where he needs to score. And he said, well, I'm not taking you then. And he left me behind. He didn't even take me. <laughs> even though I'd love to have gone, even though I wasn't playing, I'd love to have still gone. He didn't take me. And, and it was after that that one of the journals who was on the plane on the way back, and we went really close. I think we lost 2-1 in the new Camp. Another stadium. He denied me the opportunity of playing in. That didn't go unnoticed. And uh, he, had, he had congregated with some journalists who, who obviously asked, why is Andy not here? And he says, uh, Andy, he hasn't done himself any favours. He hasn't done the fans any favours. He hasn't done his teammates any favours or me. And they've gone, what? Yeah, he hasn't, you know. It's almost like he's almost cheating the people of the lads. And they've gone, what, Andy? Who's had injections all over his body for you and played for this team. Yeah, well. So anyway, it got back, it got back to me just at the beginning of the next season, I think it was. And I went to see him. And I says, listen, uh, you and I have got a problem. I, I, I can't play for you again. I don't want to. He went, why? I told him a story. And he went, oh, well, well maybe, maybe I shouldn't. Maybe this, maybe that. I said, well, so I don't care. I said, so I want to transfer. So uh, stick me on the list. And he hummed and had. And he knew they had a problem. I said, what I've done for you, how I've gone on a football pitch, what state my body was in at times, because you've asked me to, the things that I've risked, um, huge injuries, big injuries, um, so, so I'd get on a football pitch because you wanted me on it. I says, I can't believe that. So I've just lost all respect for you, boss. And um, and that's it, simple. And it, it dragged on for a couple of months and I remember putting it out. Oh, and I said to him, I went to him, I says, listen, I don't, want to, I don't want this to pop up every now and again. You know I want away. I know I want away. The club know I went away, so we don't need to mention anything about it again. And when nothing's been said for a couple of months, he, he came out and said something like, I think Andy's quite happy now, blah, blah, blah. And, and Andy wasn't quite happy now. I just didn't want to mess up the club and, and drag it through all this. And it's to such an extent that I remember the board called uh, Giddy and I to Villa Park before we left. Weird. At uh, Bodymoor, somebody came in and said, you two have got to go to Villa Park. Um, the board want to see you. Okay, so we went in, sitting there, and Giddy had put in a transfer request as well. He wanted to leave um, at that time as well. 
So we sat down, small talk, and then they went, um, so listen, if we, if we sack the manager, will you two stay? <laughs> Not surprisingly, Giddy went, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Giddy went, Oh yeah, I'll, I'll definitely. And I said, "Hold on, no, no." I'm saying, I said, "I'm not. I'm not being dragged into this. I seriously, I'm not. No, I'm. I'm not going to be held responsible for it, for him losing his job and and it being power, uh, player power, and all that." I said, "No chance." I said, "No, I've made up my mind. I'm going, and I'm going. So whatever you do, you can do, but I'm not staying." And we had we chatted to us for about an hour or so, and we left. And it was a really weird. I'd never had that before in my life, but uh, uh, but that was it. That was basically it then. I think everyone. At the club knew, Saunders knew, I knew that um, it would be going. And it's sad the way it ended. I mean, it really is sad because it was an amazing four years. And for it to have ended in such a sour note, uh, it shouldn't have done. It shouldn't have done. But it did. When you left then, obviously Villa go on and win the league in 81 and they win the European Cup in 82. Is that something that you felt that you missed out on or the fact that you were, you were able to win plenty at Wolves and at Everton. Did that kind of soften the blow of missing those glory years for Villa? Listen, when when, when I left and I went to Wolves and, and everything, then Villa went on to do what they did. I mean, of course, I, I wouldn't be human if I didn't think at times, oh, you know, I could have been part of that. But when I sit down now, having had my career and, you know, having the success we had at Wolves, it was, it was rocky the last couple of years. There's no doubt about that. And then the amazing, I would not have swapped my career for those 22 years that I had at, at Everton, they were just absolutely blissful. And, you know, if it meant I had to leave Villa to sample what I sampled at Goodison, then I would have done it all over again, knowing what I know. And then played for my, my team I supported as a boy, Rangers, at the end. So it, 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 it couldn't have done better. It couldn't have been better. I couldn't have scripted it any better myself. Um, I, I've always said to everybody, the only negative I have in my life as a footballer is that um, I didn't get to a World Cup. But then I think about George Best and Brian Giggs and a host of other, Ian Rush, uh, a host of other amazing footballers who never got to a World Cup. So when I think about them, then I don't feel so bad. But I should because Scotland qualified for most World Cups then. And for one reason or another, I didn't get there. I didn't get, and that's the only negative that I can think of in, in the years I had as footballer. The one thing that we didn't touch upon from your first spell at Villa was was that kind of League Cup win. Uh, you know, eventually after playing Everton several times, what what are your memories of, of that, Andy? It was it was weird. I mean, it was it was the days where you didn't have penalty shootouts. Of course, it was the it was the days. What I remember about the I remember the semi final, and I remember the game at Villa Park being one of the best games I ever played in. It was just, I think, QPR. And it was an amazing game of football. And then we got to the end and we were all level. So Jim Gregory was it, the chairman of QPR. He knew what it was about. He was a man about town. And he he, he went in and tossed a coin and called, said to Doug Cole. And Doug called and he went, no, it's us. The game's in London. <laughs> and we've gone, what? So we had to go to Highbury. And I remember Brian Little. It was Brian's glory night for the hat trick. Brilliant night. But then the final was a, was a bit of a it was a bit of a letdown, wasn't it? As a spectacle, I think for one major reason, I thought Everton were frightened of us at the time, and because they knew what a good team we were, and they were so negative in that game at Wembley, 
It was it was dull. It was boring. Nothing happened. Uh, I, it was I was sort of flat. My first Wembley final, and I just thought that was a bit of a letdown. Um, the game at Hillsborough went much better on a, on a horrible muddy pitch, I think, at Hillsborough, we drew 1-1. And then, of course, I, I, I twist my ankle at the baseball ground the week before we play the third game, and I missed the amazing game at, uh, at Old Trafford, but I was there, sat on the bench. I was right behind Big Chris's rocket when he, when he smashed that in. And, yes, was he surprised? No more than any of us. <laughs> <laughs> But well, and it was it was fitting that that Brian, little Brian, should score as well because the way he had, if you look at his record, that that semi final hat trick and the replay, the way he did that, the goals he contributed that run, um, he was phenomenal. So that was brilliant. I remember the bus trip back, although I didn't play, I felt very much part of it. Uh, although I didn't play in the third game, and I, you know, still managed. I still got my tankard as it was then. From that final, uh, which is nice. So, but it was it was it was it was it was brilliant to watch, but sad not to be part of that last game, having pretty much played in every other game on the way through to the final. So, to miss out the last one was disappointing, but we won, and that was the main thing. I feel a bit rude here, glossing over a, a league title win, a European Cup winners' cup, an FA Cup. But like I said, this is a Villa podcast, so you'll have to. Uh, what I'll do instead, I'll take you back to back to Aston Villa. And you said when you joined Villa initially, it was a club on the up. Did it feel when you got back that it was a club that was was in decline again? Or did you think that that, that, that European Cup squad and the last kind of vestiges of that still had something to offer? I, I, I wasn't sure. What I do know in retrospect, in hindsight, is that I shouldn't have gone back. Um, obviously, it's the wrong thing to do. I mean, we're almost seeing it, something along the lines of Gareth Bale, who was sensational at Tottenham. Went away, was brilliant, did all he did. Now he's come back and can't get a game and looks a shadow of himself. And, and that's the difficulty. You know, I left Villa when I was 23. I went back when I was 29 after multiple injuries and, you know, a, a right knee that was suspect to play in a team that was struggling. And I, and I think it was evident pretty quickly that, you know, we, we, we weren't a great side. Um, we had some good players. I don't think there's a doubt about that, but we just it just was never put together. Um, whether it was leadership, whether it was a coach or the coaches that we had in that short spell, it was um, it was tough. It was hard to take for me, having been there and had the four years that I had first time round. It was really hard to take, um, and it was difficult. It was difficult. There's absolutely no doubt about that um, to come to terms with it all. I remember the, the night we got uh, officially relegated. Um, where did we be in Old Trafford? Did we go to Old Trafford and get battered? I think you I think you were relegated before that. I think the final day of the season was at Old Trafford when you'd already gone yeah. and Billy McNeil had gone, I think. We got battered 5-0 or something, didn't we? And I remember coming back to Sutton Caulfield and I thought, I know somebody who's going to be hurting probably more than I am, so I'm going to go see him. And I drove to Doug Ellis's house, knocked on his door. Of course, he was there, alone, sitting there. And I says, he opened the door, big surprise in his face. Oh, Andy, what are you doing here? Come in, come in, come in. I said, can we have a chat? He said, yeah. I said, we'll get a bottle of champagne first. Then we'll have a chat. 
So, by the way, brought a nice bottle of champagne, sat down, and I sat with him for about a couple of hours. And we went through, talked about Villa. Uh, disappointment, where it was going, what it was doing, what he had to do, I thought. And he did it. Um, and what, you know, just, I just, I knew he'd be so, he'd be sitting on his own. I knew he'd be down. And I was, and I was on my own. So I thought, I'm going to go and see him. So I did. And we spent a couple of hours, talked about Villa, and I talked about his importance of him getting it right this time. The next coach, I said, you cannot make another mistake. Um, neither the club or you can afford it. And he didn't. He got Graham Taylor, I think, was his next one. And, and Graham was exactly what Aston Villa needed, exactly what it needed at that time. And, and therefore, Duke got it right at last for that because it brought stability, it brought success. And, and Graham got Villa on again and kicking off again. And even without me, <laughs> and, uh, I left then. Um, Graham it was interesting because he came in. And I've always said to you, I said to you at the beginning of this interview, that um, the older players are, are important in a club. Your senior players, if they're of the right stuff. I always thought I was. I always thought it was a good influence on players because of what I like to do, win. Um, and I always had to do your best. And if you didn't, then no time for you. And he called me into his office and sat down with him. And he said, um, I'm going to I'm going to let you go. No, in actual fact, he said, I'm, I'm letting you go. I said, OK. Uh, he says, I've had an offer from Birmingham City. I says, what? I says, you're joking. Oh, forget that. I says, that ain't happening. I says, hey, really? He said, I thought of that. I said, come on. I actually said, you should know me better than that. Um, and I said, I'm really disappointed, I said, because he said to me, you've got too much of an influence on the young players. And, 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 and I said to him, yes, I may have an influence, Graham, but it's a good influence. It's an influence that you would like, I said, because it's a winning influence. I've spent my life winning. I want to win. I, I, I don't accept second best from teammates or anything. So I would be a good influence. He said, no, no, you're, you're too big a personality for me here at the moment. So I'm going to have to let you go. And although I didn't agree with him, I appreciated his honesty. And we left on good, I left on good terms with Graham. I, I, you know, nothing, I said, he's a gaffer. And I did say to him before he goes, I said, you now, I said, mark my words, Graham, you have carte blanche at this club right now. Duke cannot sack you. I said, you have got the opportunity to make things right here and you'll get the full backing of the chairman because he knows he can't be seen to be making another mistake. So good luck, I said to him, shook his hand and, and left. And and that was it. So again, it ended, that ended much more amicably than the first time round. Um, even though it was another manager who didn't didn't really want me there, which was which was a shame, but it, it led to me going to play for Rangers. And in the end, and again, it's one of those things that had it not happened, had he kept me there, I might not have had that last year of winning the title up in Scotland with my, my, my team of supporters as a boy. So that was a strange couple of years. There were two years I didn't enjoy um, because I wasn't I wasn't good. Um the team wasn't great and various coaches couldn't hack it. So it was a tough two years, but, you know, Duke got it right. And when Graham came in, Villa started to move the right way. Yeah, so that was good. So the next time you were back at Villa um, was under Ron. 
for, yeah. for a season. I think it was the last year of the old first division before the Premier League came in. Just tell us a little bit about that because if memory serves correctly, David Platt left that summer and it was quite quite a rebuild, wasn't it? I think um, Sean Teal, Darian Atkinson, Kevin Richardson, so on and so forth. But first of all, I mean, this is a bit of a long-winded question. First of all, how did your kind of partnership with Ron come about? Did you know each other well anyway? Or? Yeah, well, obviously I knew Ron, as I said to you earlier, about the, in the mid-70s when he was in charge of West Brom, and we used to meet, and we, we obviously, um, I met Ron socially a lot at various things in, in the Midlands. He liked me as a player. I liked him as a manager, and, and we both had sort of personalities that we liked each other. And we got, we've got we gone well for more years than I care to remember. But um, I was, was I surprised that he called me? Yes. Yes, I was amazingly surprised. I just started working on satellite television at the time, and he just called me and says, listen, I'm going to Villa. I went, oh, wow, good. I said, that would be great. I said, that's brilliant news for Villa. He says, I want you to come with me. <laughs> What? He said, yeah. I said, I think it would be great for me to have a, a an ex-player and somebody I know. I, 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 I like your work ethic and what you know about football. And, and I think you'll be, you and I would be great together. And uh, I want you to do that. I want you to come. And I'm like, wow, okay. I'm there. That was it. It was exciting. It was it was brilliant. I'd, again, it was, it was fantastic. And, you know, we went in. And we said, I said, what are we going to do? And I said, well, we'll, we'll see what the team's like for maybe a couple of months. <laughs> and uh, and then we'll, we'll have a look and see what we need, who needs to go, who can stay. So after we did about a week's training, he called me and he says, right. I says, I know what you're going to say. He said, what? We need players. He went, yeah. <laughs> so that was when he went on. He's, he's, he went on that huge purge of, you know, Platy went, because Platy was always going anyway. And then Ron went, right. We need half a dozen. We need to get these people in, and then he did, you know. And he'll, he'll tell you that's interesting because it's it he wouldn't he wasn't looking at Kevin Richardson at all. Um, and I said we need to get Richo in. He said what? I said I'm telling you, Ron, you will not disappoint. You will love this kid. I'm telling you now, you will love him. He's a player's player. I played with him at Everton. He went on to win the title at Everton. He won the title at Arsenal, I think. I said, this kid is a, is a great player and he's a great lad. Ron signed him and he went, months later, he went, wow. He said, that is, he might be the best sign I've made for that money. Kim was brilliant and Ron made a load of good signings as well. Got people in that were exciting. You know, Big Cyril came, uh, Daly and Atkinson, um, Sean Teal, as you've said, uh, Steve Stott. You know, all these all these players that came in were, were you know, El Barrett came in. We had a lot of good people come into the, come into the team. Um, and they made us better, and and it was a really good season. I thought I, I really thought we'd a shot of winning the FA Cup that year. Although we lost it, Anfield. If we'd have got through Anfield, we'd have won it, and we were unlucky. We were unlucky, but it was a good side, and it, it really you could see then the next season. Although I'd left, you could see that the next season was going to be a good one, um, because Ron had, had a year on his feet under the table. The boys knew him; they had, had a year with him. He was still buying players and making and, and you know everything was was moving forward although his love-hate relationship with with deadly was was there for all you see it was funny you know because uh, you know when the chairman little stories um the chairman's a chairman right and the one thing duke liked to know was the team first on the weekend and it's, it's his club so and ron used to say i'm not telling them a team <laughs> 
he can he can wait. Nah, he's not getting <laughs> so without Ron knowing, I used to when I when I knew when we knew the team, I used to say I used to phone Doug Garcia and just say, Listen, uh, the boss has asked me to tell you the team. I always used to say the boss has asked me. boss has asked me to tell you the team, but keep it to yourself, Mr. Chairman. Oh thank you. Tell Ron. No, no, no problem. I'll keep it to me. Yes, yes. So he'd be happy. I'd be happy. Ron would still think he's not getting the team. And every it's part of an assistant's job to be the middleman between the gaffer and lots of other people. But I really loved it. I mean, I mean that. I loved working with the boys every day. I loved going into training. I loved that it was different for me and I was looking at it as a coach and not a player. Um, it was fantastic. Um, and it was a shame. Not a shame. I mean, I didn't expect it to end as quickly as it did, but you know, when the, the new football contract was, was agreed, it meant that my workload for TV and Villa would have been impossible. So I had a, a choice to make. And I went to Ron and I sat down with him. I said, what do you think? And he went, well, you've got to go, really. He says, it's, it's too good an opportunity. And I think he was right. I think I had I been the boss, I obviously wouldn't have gone. The fact I was an assistant and he said, I sat with him and talked to him and he knew television as well, Ron did. He was quite obviously all fair with what went on on TV. He said, this looks really exciting, Andy, and, you know, I don't want you to go, but my advice would be if you've got a fantastic offer from them, then you should you should take it with my blessing. Uh, and that's what happened. And that's what happened. And, of course, that went that way, upwards. Villa went upwards, you know, went so close to the league title the following year. So close. Um, but it was, a, it was a, you could sense something good was happening. Around uh, around drawing and around the club, and it was a shame it ended for him in the way it did. That was the that was the other thing for Ron, and um, that was a pity because he'd gone so close to taking Villa to the to the promised land again. Really, you've um, just triggered something stupid in my mind there about when uh, I think Ron was at Coventry when he had that little go at you with your gadgets in the studio. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It was it was coming. It was it was Southampton against uh, Coventry. And that was Keezy's fault. It was nothing to do with me. Because we were sitting there, and Keezy's a Coventry fan, obviously. So he was getting really cheesed off with uh, with the way Coventry were playing that night. And he had, he had Fred, the football fan's hat on. He's going, oh, and I said, no, hey, sell down, sell down. So the game, game was played out, and Southampton, I think, won 1 0. And that was, we were talking before Ron came on. I said, well, there was nothing between them, Richard. I don't think, not much. I just got the impression that Southampton maybe, maybe wanted it a little bit more. Um, so that's it. Ron comes on. And of course, Keezy as he is, he's a professional. He's as good as I've worked with, the best I've worked with. So he's still got his fans hat on. And Ron comes up and he starts saying, and Ron had said before the game, it's a big game for us. And we need, we need a win. And Keezy says, so Ron, you said before the game's a big game, you need a win, you didn't. So what now for Coventry? And Ron, being Ron, and being very quick, went, well, uh, Tottenham Hotspur at uh, Highfield Road on, uh, on Sunday, Richard. And that immediately got Keezy's back up. And Ron started talking again about the game. And he, he did what he never does, really. He interrupted him mid-sentence and said, well, hold on a minute. Andy here... <laughs> <laughs> and he says that they wanted it a bit more than you. Really? 
Wow. And Alfie went on his rant and it was funny. And I'm sitting there going, thanks, Keezy. I phoned after it and we had a chat after it. It was funny. We were both laughing our socks off. I said, you do realise it was that Keezy got that. He went, I know, I know. <laughs> so bring, bringing it back into 2021, Aston Villa seemed to be in a good place. It's not been a vintage decade by any stretch of the imagination for Villa. No. It's been quite bleak. But I presume with your with your current work, Andy, that you're still able to see quite a lot of Villa. I just wanted to get your get your feelings on on where you think they're at at the moment. I think they're in a really good place. I I, I, have, I see every game Villa play because we we do all 380 games uh, and be in live. So I pretty much there isn't a game goes by that I don't see it, particularly teams that I've played for. And I think they're in a really good position. I, I felt that having survived by the skin of our teeth last year, that if they get it right, recruitment-wise, that this would be a good year. I meant that. I said it. I think I said it in BN Sports, that that could be the most important staying up that Villa have ever had. Because had they gone the other way, then we don't know what might have happened. But the fact that they hung on meant that they could go and get players and get quality players in and bring players in to, to, to play and beef up the squad and I think that over the last 18 months, maybe, that the one thing they've got right more than ever is recruitment. I think it had been pretty poor for a long period of time. But Dean had something to do. You know, he, he had to reduce the age of the squad when he came in. He did that with one swoop. He went whoosh and he, he sort of cut the deadwood away and brought in a lot of players. And it never quite worked in that respect. Now, they had the basics this year. Now they just wanted to beef it up with quality here and there. And I think they've done that. And I think the experience the lads had last year of nearly going down has been good for them. Um, there's not a lot this pandemic has done in a positive way, if anything, but it helped Villa. And one wonders, had it not been for the pandemic, would we have stayed up? Because we weren't in a good run. We weren't in a good place when football was cancelled. But when we came back, they undoubtedly worked with it, worked at it. They'd undoubtedly spoken about it and said, this is what we need to do to survive. They did that, and they've taken what they learned there into this season, and with a bit of extra quality that they have brought in, they they look a good side. I mean, a really good side. Um, top eight side, yes. Um, if they could get top six, that would be even better. Um, and there's no reason this season of all seasons that, that they couldn't. Uh, they're still in with a really good opportunity. But it's just a, a matter of uh, small steps, and I think they've taken plenty of them in the last 12 months. I'm, I've been really impressed with what Dean's done and how he's gone about it, and I think the addition of Craig Shakespeare uh, to the backroom staff was was a good decision as well. Um, great experience, Craig, and was at Leicester when they won the title. Uh, knows how it works. Um, so he was a, a good addition to the backroom staff, and as I say, I think they, at last they've got recruitment right, and I think that's that's that would be the, that's been the thing for me. Uh, uh, the recruitment hadn't been great, but uh, it looks like they got it right this time. And uh, I think we're reaping the benefits now. I think we can see this is a really good side. Might not always play well, but what it can do now is defend and and win games like it did against Arsenal recently. Wasn't the best performance, but got an early goal, hung on. That's that's what good teams do. That's what good teams do. Um, so I think we're in a really really good place now to to cement. Premiership, 
Premier League, sorry, to cement the status of a Premier League side and take it on again. And I'm delighted it's somebody like Dean Smith. I'm delighted it's an ex-Villa fan and a British manager who's having success at a Premier League club. It's good to see. That makes it doubly, doubly delightful for me. Can you see any version of reality where Villa are able to continue to keep pace with Jack Grealish's ambitions? You know, we're a Villa podcast. We're, we're Villa fans. And we want people to keep their kind of grubby mitts off him. We want to enjoy him for as long as possible. Yeah. Is there a possibility of that? Are we living in cloud cuckoo land? It's a question only Jack can answer, uh, if I'm honest. History will show us that certain players have had huge talent. I go back as far as Matt Letizia. There's a classic example. Southampton. Matt could have gone pretty much anywhere. When he was at his best, top team in the country and, and maybe one thing, but decided to stay at Southampton. Harry Kane's another one. He's up there with, um, with Jack at the moment. Harry's a little older, 27. Harry Kane has to make his mind up. You know, am I going to achieve all I want here? Or if I don't, am I happy to stay here and get paid millions? Enjoy my football, maybe win the odd trophy at Spurs, but not be top echelon. Am I prepared to do that? And I think Jack has, a, has got that along the same lines. Can Villa in the next five years, which Jack, 25, yeah. Um, can Villa in the next five years elevate themselves to a team that can challenge for Champions League? Nothing suggests to me that they can't. They have good finances. They've got fantastic finances. They have owners that actually have some money for a change and plenty of it that are prepared to invest, not stupidly, but invest in the manager and his team and his choices. Um, And I always think if you take Leicester as a barometer for any team, it's not in the big six. Are Villa good as Leicester? Yeah, should be. Bigger crowds, bigger club. What, what's stopping Dean Smith doing what Brendan Rodgers is doing this season? Nothing. Nothing. Now, is that enough for Jack Grealish? Champions, Champions League football and maybe a cup or two for Villa? I don't know. I'd love to see Jack stay there, but I get it. Um, as somebody who's won things, there's nothing better than the feeling of winning a major trophy. Nothing better. Um, but there's obviously a big tug. It's his team. He doesn't want to go, I'm sure. In his heart of hearts, if, if Villa can afford to pay him what he deserves, and that's another thing, Villa probably can't pay Jack Grealish what he would earn elsewhere. Um, and I think he's got better and better. That's the problem for Villa. Um, and I think he'd be better higher up the food chain. Um, I think he'd grow into it. So it's a big decision. I, I, we might be disappointed in 18 months. I don't think he'll go this year. Um, and I don't think he'll go at the end of this season. So I think we're going to get another year anyway out of Jack at Villa because it's been such a good season and he's enjoyed it. It looks like he's enjoying it. And with the pandemic still hanging around, um, I think that he'll be there until summer of 2022 at least. And then it will be, I think, a big decision. It will just be before the World Cup in Qatar, um, where I shall be. <laughs> waiting for everyone to arrive, uh, hopefully. So that uh, that will be a big decision for him there. Just prior prior to the World Cup, is whether he stays at Villa. Have they progressed again, or whether he says, you know, I want to win things. I want to play at a bigger club. You know, and, and Villa is a massive club. Make no mistake about us and Villa not being a big club. Villa is a massive club, absolutely, and can handle success and can can handle it well. 
and should be able to look after their players now well and comfortably. Um, but if in 18 months' time, Jack feels that Villa are no nearer winning anything, then he may, have, he may have a decision to make about his future. And listen, I don't think anyone could argue with him if he chose after what? What would it have been 10 years at Villa? Anyone could argue with him if he chose that after giving what he's given to the club, that he chose to, to try pastures new. I don't think anyone would deny him that if that's what he wanted. But I hope it's not. I hope he stays. I hope Villa win things. And that's the catalyst to him because of all the players in the league, I'm a massive fan of Jack's. A massive fan. Um, I think he's sensational. He does things other players don't do. You know, he's... It's, 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 it's hard to describe it. He travels with the ball so effortlessly. It's, it's almost part of his body and he creates things, he scores things. He's got a really good mentality, personality, all that. All that. I think he's an amazing footballer. I have huge admiration for him and I hope he stays. I was just going to ask you about Villa's lightest. He's not number nine, he wears number 11, but Villa's lightest centre-forward, Ollie Watkins. Um, you know, we hear a lot of, we're watching with our own eyes and we hear a lot of the, the commentators rightfully pick up that he's not just a goal scorer. He does a lot, a lot of work and a lot of graft for the team. What What's impressed you about him, Andy, during his first couple of months as a Premier League player? Uh, how he's took to the Premier League, how he's taken to the Premier League. Uh, it, it's, it's not an easy league um, to come into. The, the jump from Brentford to Aston Villa is a huge one. The jump from top of the uh, championship to top of the Premier League is massive. And particularly if you're a front man, um, you know, trying to find that somebody who can score goals is every Premier League's goal, it's an ambition. And it's the most difficult thing to do. And that's not just there, that's world football. I mean, you only have to look at Manchester United and Manchester City. You know, they're, they're scrambling about, now both of them look to, they're desperate to sign Harry Kane because neither of them have what they would call, Aguero's looks like he's going to be retiring soon. They don't know if Jesus is going to be good enough. So they're scrambling over Harry Kane because they know he is. Manchester United the same. Cavani's in his late mid-30s. He's not going to be there long. They don't have another centre-forward. You know, that, that position is so difficult to play. And I've been really impressed with his, again, it's his attitude and his personality um, about him that I like. I would say, I think, as he goes on, and I'm sure Dean will talk to him about this, it was a bit like Dominic Calvert-Lewin for me for a couple of years. I always think Dominic, because he maybe didn't get enough goals, tried to compensate that by working his socks off in areas of the football pitch where he wasn't doing any harm, but was expending loads of energy. And I think since Ancelotti's gone in, it's noticeable. He plays his football much more in the penalty area. Um I'm not going to tell Ollie to stop running about helping his football team, but I think at some time, you know, he will get told, you know, just rein back a little bit, keep some energy, um, don't make silly runs wide or go and shut people down that you can't get to and things like that. Pick and choose your moments to do that because that will help him, I think, when he comes to life in the last third of the football pitch and in the penalty area. He looks a good finisher, um, looks like he can either foot not bad, head not can deal with it. Yeah, I like him. I like him a lot. Um, and I like his attitude about the game. Uh, touch wood doesn't seem to pick up too many injuries either. So that means if you get somebody who can play that position, you, you rely on him regularly, uh, then that's fantastic. He's been the ma- one of the major reasons why Villa are playing where they're playing as opposed to where they were last year. Uh, didn't have a front man last year to speak of. Not really. Nobody was going to get the amount of goals that, that uh, Ollie's got. 
and we'll continue to get. I'm pretty sure of that. So that that was a major scoop, and I think the advantage of Dean being Brentford manager and knowing Ollie well over the years is, was was a massive contribution to that and him coming, um, and I think an inspired signing, really inspired. That's brilliant. Andy, thanks so much for your time. I know you've got a, a knee operation coming up soon uh, and I know that putting your body on the line for Aston Villa so many times is probably one of the reasons for that. Um, promises, promises you won't have a photograph taken with anything that they remove no, no. from your knee. I won't, I won't bring in a, a shot up of my old knee coming out and my new knee going in. I'll spare you that one. Oh, blimey. Well, good luck with the, the recovery. Um, thanks yeah. so much for joining us. It's been an absolute thanks, pleasure. Man. I hope you've enjoyed taking a trip down memory lane as well. Um, until next time up the villa thank you for listening to Claret and Blue an Aston Villa podcast if you enjoyed today's episode then please do let us know we love hearing your feedback we'll be back soon with another episode but until then up the villa up the villa